0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruske, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Although we'll have to say it is not like any other week uh, that we've recorded this show. Um, we are all in separate areas, uh, actively keeping our space, but we do have our full panel. Which means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our healthcare director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. And Robert Craig, executive director, is with us. Robert, good to have you.
1: Good to be here. Hope everyone in the audience is hanging in there.
0: So we have been—we've been talking about coronavirus now for over a month. We certainly um, saw that this was going to be a huge issue and wanted to, you know, get on it early. And um, this week, we're in a very different world, right? Even from last week, we are pretty much most people are in, you know, full fully being separated, not going to work. We've had um, our essentially our state, we have no gatherings of 10 or larger. Most restaurants and service areas are pretty much closed down or at very, very slow paces. Um, And since last week, the number of reported cases has obviously significantly increased. Um, Very different world. Um, Claire, I want to go to you first and just get your thoughts Obviously, um, uh, sort of your top thoughts on where we where we stand with coronavirus uh, a week after uh, just in one week it's amazing.
2: I agree. It's amazing um, how how much the world has seemingly changed in in just a matter of hours, in a matter of days. Um, We we knew that this um, is a a virus that was going to spread exponentially. And um, seeing that play out in our state is not a surprise, but nonetheless alarming. Um, I, of course, am grateful that the President and Congress were able to get together um, to pass a relief package. I, I wish it were more robust. I think there were things that we could be doing um, that we are not doing, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, I am grateful to our leaders at the local level and the state level who are, by and large, um, trying to do what they can to um, in, enforce distancing and safe practices amongst folks um, here in Wisconsin. Um, but again, there are, are things that we we should be doing that we are not doing yet. Uh, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about those soon. Um, but, uh, in general, I'm glad that by and large folks are taking this seriously. Um, one of those folks is not our Senator Ron Johnson, And, uh, I I can't wait till we dig into that topic.
1: Yes. Uh, thank you, Claire. That was a very good summation of where we are kind of, uh, from, from, from this perspective, sitting here in the middle of battleground, Wisconsin, uh, I want to say, and there's much, there's much to talk about about the government response, uh, Donald Trump, et cetera, though I think people have less tolerance for the blame game right now, other than the far right that's trying to make it about uh, foreigners, which is gross and cynical and divisive, and that Trump is playing into. I will call him out for that. But there's going to be time for accountability, but I think what most people want is to come together, and actually save as many lives as possible here, right, and to make as many people safe as possible. And I do think on an ethical ground, we need to think about this. We need to do everything possible to protect everyone, not just privileged people. So Trump had very little response to the question as to why NBA players uh, who have no symptoms are getting tested and people with symptoms can't get a test. And we have a very unequal healthcare system, which we'll dig into, which is going to risk all of the public, because we're interconnected. If someone doesn't go with symptoms because they're afraid of the cost and they're afraid of losing the money they need to pay rent, pay for food, everything else, then not only they endanger themselves and their families, they endanger everyone else, and that's on the whole society. We're all interconnected here, and that's why we're starting to think about things like ICE detention centers and prisons, which not only endanger the people there, but are breathing grounds for an epidemic that endangers everything else. You cannot leave anyone out and not risk everyone. But ethically, we, of course, should not leave everyone out, anyone out as progressive. I think we need to be aware also of uh, some privilege in all of this. There's certainly privilege in anyone who has the ability to shelter in place and work from home. A lot of people are... Maybe sheltering in place if they lost their job and are afraid of losing everything and don't know how they're going to pay the bills and pay for food and pay the rent. And then there are people who have to keep working and therefore not sheltering in place and are far more exposed. And so there's a lot of that going on. Plus, I think we need an international view because we were all connected. And this this idea that it, we can just close ourselves off is just wrong. It's an international epidemic. And the idea that it's China's fault because it started in China is divisive and absurd. But we need to be aware that the reports of what's happening in Mexico, in Africa, in other less developed countries are just horrific. And they're talking about 10% death rates potentially in those countries. And so we have an obligation not just to save ourselves, but to, save, to, to think about humanity as a whole here. And we are still very rich countries, and I I have li- limited tolerance for we're going to bail out Wall Street, we're going to bail out the airline industry, but we're going to let people die here in this country and overseas, especially since not only is that unethical in and of itself, it actually risks everyone else. So people should have a self-interest in protecting every every human being we can in the world.
0: Robert and Claire, first of all, great great thoughts to get us started off. Um So I just the one thing that seems very clear is uh, since last week, we've had massive changes, particularly to the economy. Right. The stock market has plunged. Um, People are uh, now a lot of people are out of work. Um, We are definitely going to see a serious um, this is going to have massive impacts. Uh, economically, in addition to all of the uh, health concerns uh, we talked about. So what I want to do, it obviously is going to create an opportunity for there to be a conversation about, one, how do we meet this both immediate need about the health crisis, but also some of the structural and systemic things that this health crisis will sort of expose. Um, So I want to have a conversation about that. But also then uh, lead to a discussion of what's actually being done right so we had we've had some um, some bills pass um, and there are more proposals so I want to talk about that a little bit in terms of uh, going forward uh, uh, next steps in in, in this uh, any thoughts from the panel uh,
2: well I I not uh, an economist. I took a a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit of uh, micro macro classes in grad school, but um, in general, Robertson following uh, the trend of the stock market much more closely than I have. Um so, so what I'll say, and then I'll pitch to him is that um, I think it is clear from the falling stock market, a number of things. But one of the ones that i I want to highlight the most is that it has really, um, laid bare that our economy is people driven and the inability of people to work um is is scary and that might mean uh, not being able to work because of needing to shelter in place not being able to work because businesses are closing like um you know restaurants and bars um but um also, in general, because people don't have, um, like, healthcare coverage, maybe, um, and so they don't want to risk going into work because if they get sick, they won't be able to seek treatment. Um, and, and so I think this shows that, like, when we come out of this, we need to be thinking more critically about how do we care for people. And this is a message that, that, that we've been pushing at Citizen Action for, for a long time, right? Like, all of our policies are focused on how do we support people, Right. Yeah. So to me, this this shows that like our economy is is all about people, um, and we need to keep people at the center of all of our policies. Uh, and I hope that this serves as a good reminder for people um, in positions of power who think that their job is to serve, um, uh, you know, corporations and powerful interests, and not and not regular people, because so it's regular people that matter. I'll pitch it to Robert. Seat, Robert.
1: Okay. We're almost out of time on this segment, so I'll just say, before we go to the other side, that Claire is absolutely right. I'll add to what she said, that we have an extremely fragile economy because it's been supercharged for immediate profit and because uh, Donald Trump has been supercharging it for political purposes, but Wall Street's happy to take all all of it. So they took the Trump tax cut, and they, they did a whole bunch of stock buybacks, and they created a stock bubble, and so we literally have a very fragile economy, and we have people where mo- uh, a huge majority of Americans can't, uh, can't deal with a surprise $500 bill, let alone losing their job. And so there's a consequence to creating this, this kind of economy that lacks resilience like we have, and we're seeing it right now. With that, we're going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin.
0: we Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are recording. We're all in uh, separate separate areas from each other, which is unique, but it um, obviously speaks to this uh, incredibly challenging time. Um, we talked a bit, uh, just got top top lines on how folks are feeling about the coronavirus and some of its uh uh, potential economic impacts, but I want to immediately dive into the legislation uh, that has been uh, moving through Congress, and one of them was signed by President Trump, uh, but talk also very specifically about our Senator, uh, Ron Johnson, and his opposition, along with uh, four House Republican congressional folks from Wisconsin to these, um, these corona relief packages. Uh, in particular, uh senator johnson's opposition to the idea that uh uh, folks that there'd be paid sick days included robert give us your initial thoughts on this
1: so there's something called the uh coronavirus uh, recovery act which was first negotiated by uh trump treasury secretary steve mnuchin and uh house speaker nancy pelosi so it was bipartisan um and it after some difficulties and some attempts by extreme right-wing congressmen to block it or hold it up It did pass, and the top lines on it are that it provided free testing for coronavirus. I still think people may not know that. And uh, there was a learning process for a lot of people that just saying the test is free wasn't enough because of the way hospitals and medical providers have more hidden bills than cable uh, providers by far. You have to deal with the emergency room costs, the doctor's visit, the facility fees, any expert that looks at the uh, test, et cetera. And so that's huge, but it's not everything we need, because if you then have a symptom and you need treatment for anything, that's when the bankrupting healthcare care costs uh, kick in. So this is the first step, and obviously the tests have to be available, and they're not fully available, thanks for, to the at least bungling and maybe worse of the uh, federal government and the Trump administration. Uh, they include paid sick days. Which is critical because if you're sick and we need you to stay home uh, because you have some symptoms, you need to be able to stay home. Um, and then, it and so, and, and you also have kids who are home now because of schools all being let out, and uh, you know, elders have to be taken care of. So there are plenty of reasons people need paid sick days. The downside, which we've talked about, is is that there's a Criminal, I would say, almost criminally immoral exemption for large employers. So it doesn't apply to Walmart. It doesn't apply to McDonald's. And there's an opt-out for small businesses, which is more reasonable, but leaves other people out and doesn't have a backup. There's also an increased uh, money for Medicaid, for example, uh, it, for uh, because states are going to have more healthcare costs. So there's some important things in it, but everyone sees it as only a first step. And there was shocking opposition to it from Senator Ron Johnson, who Bruce Murphy, the journalist, called Dickensian in his opposition, which I think is great. And then all four of the, of the congressional delegation of Republicans in Wisconsin. And that is only 40 no votes in the House, which is a shocking low number, and eight in the Senate. And Ron Johnson led the opposition. So we the Republicans in Wisconsin should be ashamed that are worse than the reddest of red states. Claire?
2: I want to build off of um, what Robert was saying uh, around Senator Johnson, and in general, I think all of us recognize that this is not a time to be politicizing this this crisis, but that doesn't mean that um, Senator Johnson gets a free pass for his exceptionally heartless and callous remarks. Um, and there is one in particular that got printed in the journal Sentinel um, on the 18th uh, that that I find is appalling and unconscionable. Um, and, and he says it in the context of trying to, quote, like, put this crisis in perspective. Um, and so he says, um, I'm not denying that the nasty disease COVID-19 can be And and it's obviously devastating to somewhere between one and 3.4 percent of the population, but that means 97 to 99 percent will get through this. Um, And and I think this is such a this is such a damaging narrative because we are so used to thinking of 99 percent or 97 percent as like rounding it up to 100 percent, right? Like in school, 97 percent is an A. Um, But if you think about what 3% of the American population and 3% of the Wisconsin population is, it is an astounding number of lives, right? We aren't talking about, like, we shouldn't just say, like, individuals. Like, we're talking about lives, right? So there's about, what, 327 million people in the United States. 3% of our population as a country is 10 million people. He's talking about just, like, being okay with 10 million people dying right and so wisconsin's a population of 5.8 million people so three percent of that is something like 1.7 million people like our our united states senator published like has a quote on record published in the largest newspaper in the state saying that like we need to just like put it in perspective that only 1.7 million people could die from this and particularly like these are we're talking about like older people. We're talking about the most vulnerable members of our community, folks with you know complex medical needs, right? So I, I just like want everybody to remember this, like remember that this is our senator who is so callous about the lives of his own constituents. It is it is just appalling.
0: Claire, I'm glad that you brought this up because I actually believe that Senator Ron Johnson is is the first one to really publicly make this argument that I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of um, cause. Well, one, it, as I do think it re- reflects just some of the callousness that there are disposable people in our society and that there are people that are less worthy and basically can be just disregarded. And this reflects that, uh, but this notion that he has that somehow, he says that this, uh, to, that means 75 to 99% of us will get through this and, uh, we'll be able to get beyond this, you know, as if none of us will lose loved ones. We'll have people killed because of this unnecessarily. And we'll just get beyond it, right. Is, is just un? it's, it is unbelievable. But Uh, He is making that case and talking about the fact that, like, we don't shut down our economy because thousands of people die in highways, right? We're getting some of this stuff that we heard from Trump earlier. But the reality is we may not have to, Claire, as you said, look back upon this. This may be a constant dialogue if we go forward and say that there isn't um, a vaccine in time and that this continues and goes on. You will have people like Johnson making the argument we need to we need to go forward and just accept that there are going to be parts of our society that are going to die for this, but the economy must go forward. And so I actually believe these comments are sort of the harbinger of a, a more challenging conversation that the folks, uh, the callous folks like Senator Johnson, are going to be uh, putting out there, and we need to
1: challenge forcefully.
2: It's almost dystopic, right? It's so scary. yeah.
1: Well, uh, you two have made the moral case. And obviously, Ron Johnson is both morally challenged and challenged in other ways and is saying things probably that others say but are adroit enough to avoid actually articulating. But I will say that Prime Minister Boris Johnson originally was resistant like Donald Trump to the whole thing and said it would just thin the herd and that would be fine. So there's some other leaders that have said unbelievable things. But let me get to the policy point, since you've done, both of you said, the moral point so well. One policy point is simply this, that it endangers everyone, including Senator Johnson, to have more people infected, okay? So we're all in this together, and we're interconnected, and this virus proves that, the situation proves that, so it's a real weakness in right-wing ideology that it's all about individuals. By the way, it's social Darwinist in a way that this whole idea that somehow, oh, just the weaker will be taken and the strong will continue. It's awful. But then secondly, he suggests we use unemployment instead of paid sick days because that's better for small business, in his opinion. Uh, He's all obsessed with small business over anything else, but I don't think he knows what would be good for small business because the work is pretty important and there's safety to a small business. Uh, But if you did that, you have to lose your job in in order to protect yourself or care for your family, and why she have to choose, and it will encourage people to work when they're sick, and therefore it's unsafe for them and their co-workers and the whole society. Uh, But then he was going to therefore make it be paid for by the states, and we're about to face a recession, maybe even a depression, and he was going to freaking argue that we should drain the unemployment insurance accounts in the states where we're having already unprecedented claims, where 20 percent, according to some polls of people, have already had their jobs, uh, their hours cut or been laid off.
0: With that, with those thoughts, we are going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. And when we come back, we want to talk a little bit about how this uh, whole situation is impacting our spring elections and elections and democracy more broadly going forward. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We want to spend some time talking about this very important spring election that is coming up here in uh, Wisconsin. It is scheduled for Tuesday, April seventh. Um, and this, obviously, this is the election that will be our presidential primary for both the Republican and Democrats. But mo- also, very importantly, we have local municipal elections and our statewide. Uh, state Supreme Court election that is very important, Uh, obviously featuring featuring citizen action endorsed uh, Jill Karofsky. But uh, this whole situation that we've been talking about has clearly imperiled this election coming up. Um, As we record as uh, Thursday morning on the 19th, uh, the elections are still going forward. Um, Some municipalities have restricted some early voting and shut that down at their um, offices. Uh, Milwaukee and Madison uh, remain open and a number of other municipalities. Uh, But there is uh, still a plan to go forward with the April 7th election with the goal of trying to uh, run them as safely as possible, but really trying to push absentee voting and trying to encourage folks to vote by absentee. And so we want to start today by encouraging, uh, start this conversation, I I should say, by encouraging everybody. To try and vote absentee because we just don't know what could happen. We may not have open polling locations. This may end up being an all mail in election. So get your absentee ballot in now. It is very easy if you go on uh, to the state site. Uh, and we'll give out that information in just a minute. But I wanted to, uh, Claire, give you uh, first opportunity to get your thoughts about just this election overall. and. And, uh, you know, the broader question of whether we should move forward with this election or not.
2: Oh, that is uh, the question of whether we should move forward the election or not is a real challenging one for me. And so I, I will um, punt allowing Robert to talk about that in his remarks. Um, what I will say is that it's incredibly important to protect our democracy. And that needs to come from our um, elected leaders, as well as us as individual citizens who will be uh, voting. And um, I don't have a particularly strong perspective. I'm totally conflicted on whether that means pushing back the election or not. I just don't know which is more, um, if it's more damaging to hold it Uh, from from a public health perspective, or it's more damaging to our democracy to push it back. But if we are going to hold it, then people need to participate um, and and not be scared off from participating because of where we are right now. Um, And there are safe ways to participate in democracy, and that includes voting via absentee ballots. That includes talking to our neighbors and our voters over the Internet um, and over the phone so that you don't have to do it in person. Uh, And so I, I... I really, really don't want this crisis to affect the functioning um, of our of our democracy. And, and I'll pitch it to Robert uh, to to talk more about the election issue.
1: Ah, thanks, Claire. There is uh, this is a very complicated issue that's moving quickly. In fact, the listeners may know by the time we are on the air more than we do. Uh, but at the current situation. It appears that Republicans want the election to go forward, and they want to block any changes to it. And it would be my assumption. I've not heard a principled reason. This includes the three Republicans on the state election commission, because they think it's somehow in their interest, particularly in the state Supreme Court race. But I've not heard another argument. Uh, uh, It seems like progressives and Democrats are actually divided at the moment. Uh, There's a whole School of thought that says that we cannot have it now because of the public safety risk, that poll workers who are older, that, uh, that uh, people who are vulnerable are going to spread the disease. Plus, it's going to disenfranchise uh, people of color and lower-income voters, um, and especially it with, with mail ballots, it does, because in some very low-income communities and folks of color communities, there's 25% turnover where people live. And so, therefore, we should delay the election. But there's another group that are not sure we have enough information to make that judgment. And the grounds are, first of all, that we don't know with this virus, it may be worse in May and June, and we might not be having an election. That April, if we change it, might be the safest time. And then, also, there's a desire to fix this. Like, to, we could go to a mail ballot system that relaxed, you know, got rid of photo ID Uh, relax voter registration requirements so that people could have some equivalent of same day and have outreach to make sure we get as equal a vote as possible. And there was very high absentee voting in places like Florida, I think Arizona as well. So there's a case to be made. But a lot of those people in that second camp think we don't have enough information. They're not shooting down those who think it should be delayed. They just don't know that we know enough yet. Governor Evers, as of Thursday morning, is for pushing forward we don't know. He may change that. There's also a disagreement on whether the governor could do all this with executive power. I know at least one lawyer that thinks you could, and I know a couple lawyers who think you would need the legislature and call a special session. And the problem is is that uh, Speaker Voss and Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald are still are shown no inclination to cooperate or help this election go any better. And so, therefore, you would only have the option of executive authority and the question of whether you could do it or not. But the three Democratic members of the Election Commission, and we know two of them very well, they're friends of this in action, um, have asked yesterday night, we went to the evening, that there be a joint session of the legislature to figure this out, whether we keep this timing and how to fix it so we... Protect everyone and uh, their health and the right to vote. But the Republican, the three Republican commissioners, all voted no, so they were they were they were at at, at a standstill at the election commission. Thank you, Robert, for that um, excellent summary.
0: Um, I want to take some time right now, though, and talk about the reality: is that there's a good chance that we'll push forward with this election, and that actually we ought to be using this time to get folks comfortable with voting early and using the uh, absentee ballot process here in the state. So everyone who's listening, you should know that anyone can do an absentee ballot. You do not need to have a reason. And so what I wanna encourage our listeners to do is to go on to myvote.wisconsin.gov. Again, my, myvot dot Go to that site. From there, you can check and make sure your registration's good. And if it is, then you can go click on vote absentee. It'll take you less than two minutes to fill out that form process. You just put in some basic information, your address, and you'll uh, take a fo- picture of your photo ID. You can take that with your phone and uh, scan it or you know, send, send the image uh, to your computer or do it through your phone. And you just have to upload that and they will send you an absentee ballot, and you have until April 5th uh, to, uh, excuse me, I want to get that date right, April 2nd, um, to to do the absentee ballot. Um, and so we think it's really, really super important that as many people as possible go take this time and go fill out that ballot uh, and fill out that opportunity. Um, it is also, so again, you have until April 2nd to go online and go, go get that ballot, Uh, But you can also, uh, we want to let voters know, you can go to your municipal clerk's office if it's still open. Some have closed early, but like Milwaukee and Madison and a number of other cities are still open and you can go vote early. Uh, And you can also go there and also request an absentee ballot. But uh, I would suggest you just go vote in person. So really important uh, that, uh, that folks take this time and go fill out that absentee ballot. And more importantly, Encourage your neighbors. Go on. If you're on social media, please make a video of yourself, how easy it is. Share it with your networks. We really do influence each other. And a lot of folks have never voted absentee. So it is important to give them that push uh, to to get their vote in. Uh, Claire, I know you have some more thoughts.
2: I have one uh, very brief thought uh, that I think is very important, which is we know that this virus um, is most dangerous for uh, older folks. And um, a lot of older folks might, um, I, speaking from my experience, my nine-year-old uh, plus grandparents um, don't have the technological um, skills or um, pieces of technology to take a photo of their ID and upload it to the internet to request um, an absentee ballot. Um, so, so if that is uh, resonating with you, because either you don't know how to do that or um, your parents or grandparents don't know how to do that, but you don't want them to leave to go vote, uh, when you go to that My Vote uh, website that um, Matt just read off, there is an option for selecting um, a permanent absentee ballot. You don't need to justify why you need it. It's made for folks who are homebound, which I think in this case we could we consider. And I and I called the election commission here in Milwaukee to verify this. Um, you know, folks who are um, older and don't want to leave to go to the polls certainly qualify. Um, And you, if you select that option, you do not need to upload a photo of your ID. Um, They will just send you a ballot automatically. Um, And um, for, for some folks, like I even called my grandparents and I said, well, you know, I have the website pulled up, give me your, you know, full legal names and birth dates so I can get this ballot sent to you. Um, And that way you can even help them do it so that they don't have to figure out the internet and, and everything and do it themselves.
0: Thank you, Claire. And with that, we're going to, take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. Uh, But again, folks, get those uh, requests in for absentee ballots. Uh, We'll see you um, after these messages. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast, talking about the spring elections and some of the uncertainty, obviously, that is connected to our current coronavirus situation. Robert, I know you wanted to add some some more, some more about the um, early voting in and, and
1: our spring elections? There is a Democratic escalating lawsuit that was filed uh, late Wednesday, which would overturn photo ID, overturn uh, residency requirements, overturn a number of the provisions that Matt and Claire talked about. So I don't know what the chances of it succeeding are, but just be aware that, uh, that, that the situation could change because Clearly, if we're moving forward April 7th or two weeks later or in May, we need to change these rules both to protect people's health, but also to make sure that we don't have a disproportionate number of wealthier, more middle-class people voting and a lot of lower income and people of color uh, being uh, disenfranchised.
0: Thank you, Robert. And with that, I want to change topics a little bit. Um, Robert, I'm going to actually come right back to you very quickly on this. Um, There was an article this week. Uh, that was in uh, uh, Wisconsin Public Radio, and it was on their, obviously, on their radio network, um, that talked about this dynamic and that's uh, developed. And we have discussed this a little bit on the show before, but the idea that the agenda that candidates both ran for president, including uh, 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 the current leader in the on the Democratic side, uh, Biden, are all essentially running. Uh, on policy and program that is is to the left and, and more progressive than what's in the, in the state of play here in the state. Um, the article focused more quite a bit on Tony Evers, but I think it's probably more useful to talk about it more broadly, uh, both within the uh, legislature and Governor Robert. I want to get your get you to comment on this and get your thoughts, and then Claire, I'll go to you right after.
1: Well. I quoted in the story, and it's, it was running Thursday morning on the radio, and it's on the uh, Wisconsin Radio website. I'm the only state leader, you know, who has an organizational position who is willing to speak on this. But I we're willing to speak truth about this. But literally since 2016, when I was on the national platform committee for Bernie Sanders, and we made some progress with Senator Clinton, but didn't go far enough. The whole Democratic National Party has moved to the more and more progressive. And so what a Joe Biden or a Pete Buttigieg were were running on was actually far more progressive than what the moderate lane was running on in previous elections. And so Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, what she was in, have moved the whole debate to the bolder, more progressive side. But it's striking, and I'm willing to say this, that the state Democrats, and Tony Evers, are still in a more traditional kind of stance and are to the are, are not as bold or progressive right now as uh, the presumed Dem- people you know the Democratic frontrunner uh, Joe Biden or any of the moderate wing presidential candidates. And so that's interesting. Everyone knows our position at battleground Wisconsin. We think you need to build to to campaign and and fight for bold, big things that will improve people's lives to be successful. So we are hoping that if we can't persuade Governor Evers and state legislative Democrats to be bolder, that perhaps the national—they'll eventually take the lead of national Democrats. I don't think it's coming from state voters, because Bernie Sanders won 71 of 72 counties back in 2016. I think it's coming from uh, Governor Evers and his team and and the the Democratic leaders of the legislature. And it's going to be very important, because people's main tolerances for what can deal with this pandemic— we need bold things, and we're going to be proposing them uh, very soon at CIS National Wisconsin to actually address this epidemic and then also to build the, the, the groundwork for social justice, climate justice, et cetera, when we're at it. What are your thoughts?
2: I think Robert's analysis is astute, um, so I, d- I don't have too much to add, uh, but I, I am glad that the narrative at the state level is being pushed in such a progressive way, or that at least progressive policy priorities and messages are getting so much attention. In the long run, that'll help us move closer to building the um, type of government and sort um, of society that that we know will help the most folks. Uh, I I hope that um, that, uh, that our state can uh, once again become a leader in in pushing progressive uh, policies. So uh, yeah, I'm
1: glad that this
0: conversation is happening. Yeah, I just um, you know I think the article obviously is accurate and sort of broadly what it's pointing out. Um, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, we've talked about this as it relates to to Tony Evers, and he never ran as someone who was going to be a bold progressive. Um, And, you know, this is a lifelong civil servant who cares deeply about public service and public education. And a lot of that was borne out in what we've seen so far in terms of where, you know, sort of priorities are. Um, But I would just say, and then of course, the unique situation of he's taken a particular sort of governing stance versus the Republicans in the legislature that I think we've talked about that we disagree with. We think like it'd be better to actually be extraordinarily bold like they are on the national level. And we could make more progress potentially in the dialogue and debate. But that being said, um, I do think, you know, it's an interesting dynamic and what I want to close with here is actually a conversation about, um, how this new environment, right? We're in a very new environment now uh, with this, uh, with the coronavirus. Um, Is there an opportunity to change? Uh, Thoughts on the ability to have folks are open to potentially rethinking the way we structure our society um, and how is our democracy actually living up to some of the big ideals that we all hold and believe and this uh, situation does provide an opportunity for people to be rethinking about that. And does that put in play maybe some of these bigger structural ideas uh, that are being talked about nationally, both nationally, but also potentially to come in play in the state? Uh, Your uh, thoughts on that, either of you?
1: So I think the answer is yes. And I think that we need to really understand that the big corporate uh, class that has taken so much of the wealth of this country the last 40 years, the far right uh, GOP, they're thinking about how they can use this crisis to even further their agenda long term and to f- further rig the system against average people, against unions, against democracy. As in, that's, that's my framing, but that is, it's literally private economic power at the expense of democracy and public power. And so we need to be thinking about how we get a Green New Deal out of the giant stimulus packages that are going to go through in which the House of Representatives, led by Nancy Pelosi, has a veto check on. uh, But she's going to have to compromise in order to get it just like she did in the last bill. But she's going to get some things in. And we need to organize at the state and local level to use inevitable additional resources that are trying to stave off a of depression and also to, to, to keep this economy afloat during this unprecedented pandemic to also build, like, for example, we know that we need a healthcare system that is not structured to, to get people to avoid care and to get profit at every single angle, but we need a system that is actually designed to provide uh, healthcare as a right and general public health, and that we know that part of our embarrassing lack of a lack of preparedness in the u.s. and it's almost criminal lack of preparedness has to do with the looting of this country by the one percent and by big corporations the last 40 years they've hollowed out the public sector and we have a president who was ill-equipped to lead that's obvious during a crisis uh, partly as a result and so we need to be thinking both what would save the most people create the most safety be most equitable right now in the crisis but we need to build something out of it, because the other side is certainly thinking about what happens after this crisis is over. But this crisis could be as long as 18 months, some are now projecting. Robert, I
0: think you're you on to something. And what I'm hoping is, look, there's still going to be a conversation going on around uh, this presidential primary. And I think this is going to be a big issue for Biden. And can Joe Biden start to articulate clearly uh, how his vision – would play out with large stimulus because this could be going on for a while trying to figure out how we, um, change our economy to deal with this. And, uh, so I do think there's an opening there. So, uh, anyways, I want to Claire, I want to first give you any, uh, one final chance before we uh, wrap up this podcast. If you have any other thoughts on this.
2: I agree with everything you've said, we covered a lot of ground. So I feel like I don't have too much more to add. Um, I, I'll just refocus on my comment from the top of this episode about um, about this crisis really laying there that we need as a society and as a government to do a better job caring for uh, people and prioritizing the interests, both economic and health of of people, real people in our community. Uh, I, I hope that is one of the main lessons that we that we take out of this and that we remember as we um, try to find our way through
0: it. Well, and with that, we're going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin, and we want to encourage everybody to stay safe out there. And obviously we'll continue to track the situation. Follow us on Facebook and uh, instagram and twitter and uh continue to track and we'll stay up to date and keep you informed uh but again uh we're going to wrap up this uh this episode of the battleground wisconsin we want to thank our producer brian Wildridge, who has gone through huge efforts to uh, make sure that this show can continue to go forward we really appreciate that from brian but with that we'll see you next week at the battleground wisconsin